Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Hurricane season starts next week. Forecasters are expecting a busier than average storm season with as many as nine hurricanes. Five years ago this summer, Hurricane Irma carved a path up the west coast of Florida, knocking out power for weeks in some places and causing billions of dollars in damage. And longtime residents will recall the devastation of Hurricane Andrew, a powerful storm which slammed into South Florida 30 years ago. Whether you're a multi-generational Floridian or a brand new arrival to the Sunshine State, the key is to be prepared. We'll talk with meteorologist Megan Borowski about what to expect this season and how to get ready. And we'll talk with former FEMA administrator Craig Fugate about the threats posed by hurricanes today, lessons learned from previous storms, and how Florida's ever-expanding population can prepare. He says the state's affordable housing crisis adds an extra layer to the challenge of rebuilding after storms. First though, while Floridians may be getting ready for hurricane season by stocking up on supplies like water, batteries and shutters, just how many of us are thinking about the land surrounding our homes? WSF's Jessica Mazaros takes us for a walk outside the outside of her house with an expert to help us prepare our landscapes for a big storm. I recently purchased an older home on a little less than a quarter acre lot in Tampa. So I invited Susan Haddock with the University of Florida's Extension in Hillsborough County to come over and do a storm assessment. It's a free service available to any Hillsborough resident. She helps homeowners design, install, and maintain their urban landscapes. Okay, so, so first I'm just gonna do just kind of a broad look around. Haddock's looking for areas that tend to flood, soil that erodes away, or any kind of drainage issues that may contribute to standing water. We're on my patchy green front lawn, facing the one-story house with our backs to the street. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath, built in 1959 with floor-to-ceiling windows. It's a sunny day, and we're partly under the shade of a giant oak tree, which covers the right side of my home. Have you ever noticed any flooding issues in this particular landscape? Yes, the flooding tends to happen um, in front of the door, so it kind of pools all there. So evidently it slopes towards the house, and that's something that you might want to think about is to change that grade so that it slopes away from the house. There's a couple ways that you can do that. You can either regrade the entire front yard, which is quite a project, or you can try to do some different things that may create a little bit of mounding in front of the house. I think that's gonna be a little bit difficult in this situation because the windows are very close to the ground. And what are some examples of how I would uh, mound something, you know, to, to create mounds? What we typically talk about is either rain gardens or swales. Haddock says installing French drains is also an option. If I'm going to hire a landscaper, she suggests I check for licenses and bond insurance. Plus, it's always a good idea to talk with the previous client for quality assurance. So you do have a very large tree over a lot of your house. It almost looks like it could be a historic tree and it's just absolutely beautiful. I would just pay attention to any kind of limbs that you see that don't have leafy material on it that may look like they got some dieback and have those pruned off in advance of the hurricane season. I only see, I see one up over the house towards the back there that doesn't look like it's got any really good growth on it. It looks like a dead piece and that could fall off um, in, in a wind situation. 
Luckily, I had already spoken with Robert Northrup, a tree expert at UF. He recommends calling a professional arborist who belongs to the International Society of Arboriculture. And when they talk to you about pruning your tree, they should be talking about two different techniques specifically. One's called reduction pruning, and the other one's called thinning. None of it is called hurricane pruning. Anybody that says they're going to hurricane trim your trees or your palms, you should walk away from. Reduction pruning is where the crown gets cut from the outside, which shrinks the overall footprint of a canopy. And thinning is lessening the number of stems in a tree. Back at my place, Haddock and I have now moved to the backyard, which is mostly bare except for a shed off to the right corner by the fence. I mean, I'm wondering about this shed, like do we have to look at like, is that anchored down or? Oh, absolutely. So that is one of the things that you do want to be concerned about um, in your yard is to make sure that any kind of outdoor structures, that it's anchored down and it's not going to get picked up and moved away. It looks like yours is sitting on a wood foundation. So you might want to consider at some point having a concrete foundation with anchors in it. Haddock has a bunch of other suggestions. I need gutter covers to prevent tree debris from clogging up the drains and gutter extenders so the rainwater isn't directed to the base of the house. And she also points out that my fence does not have wind gaps between the wooden slats, which could make it more susceptible to toppling over with hurricane force winds. I probably won't be able to cross all of this off my checklist before hurricane season begins, but at least I have an idea of where to start. For WUSF 89.7 News, I'm Jessica Mazaros at my home in Tampa. Find all the tips on property preparedness plus photos from Jessica's landscape assessment at WUSFnews.org. A busier than average hurricane season is expected this year. So what does that mean for Florida? We reached out to Megan Borowski, a meteorologist with the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network based in Gainesville. So researchers at Colorado State University are expecting a more active hurricane season than normal with at least 19 storms, 9 hurricanes and 4 major hurricanes. So what does that mean for Florida and for residents here? First of all, yeah, that forecast um, from Colorado State, they put out a a forecast several times during the, the year in the progression of the tropical season. And that forecast is calling for yet another above average year. I think this will make it the seventh year in a row if we actually meet the meet the above average criteria. But pretty much we're expecting more storms than normal. And there's a few factors that are really playing into that. One of them is the fact that we are in a La Nina um, phase of the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And what that does is that really reduces the winds in the upper levels of the atmosphere. So that helps those tropical um, systems to really develop and to continue developing. Um, And at the same time, we also have warmer than normal sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic, especially along the um, development zone in the Atlantic. So that is also contributing to the forecast. So for us here in Florida, the activity forecast itself doesn't really tell us about where these storms could occur, where they're going to form, who they're going to impact, if they're going to impact land at all. So we can't draw any conclusions from that. But what we can do is say, okay, we're looking at an above normal season. um, And that means with more storms, there's a better chance that we will be impacted. So it's time to get those preparations made now. Right. And some of the things that people might be thinking about getting, like plywood, for example, I know with uh, inflation and supply chain issues, 
that stuff's getting kind of expensive, so probably a good idea to lay in some supplies sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, certainly if you can look at your finances and, and kind of if you can make preparations over time, let it trickle in so you're not as um, stunned by either the financial implications or the supply chain issues. Yeah, it's it's hard out there. Everybody's feeling it. But, you know, preserving and protecting your life, your family's lives, that comes number one. So you just want to you know, make sure you get out there, make the preparations now so you're not scrambling. There's a storm threatening your area. Every storm is different, of course, but um, what should Tampa Bay region residents in particular be thinking about for an active storm season? Well, there's there's a lot of hazards, as we know, from tropical systems. Uh, first of all, you know, the winds. That's that's what the Sackler-Simpson hurricane wind scale is largely based off of, is um, wind speed. So you want to, you know, survey your property, see, is there anything on your property? Are there any trees, any structures that if they are damaged by winds, they could, you know, threaten your house or any other structures. So consider that. There's other hazards as well. Um, do you live in a flood-prone area, either storm surge flooding, or do you live in a low-lying area where drainage of heavy rainfall could aggregate in where your house is? You want to look for vulnerabilities in, in your neighborhood or on your property and try to put in measures or enact measures to prevent the worst damage from happening. You know, this far out in time, what you really want to do is is just have a plan in place. And as we're starting to watch things, just keep keep an eye on the news, keep an eye on your local meteorologists, listen to the EPRIN, um media that we're pumping out. And as events get closer in time, that's when you're really going to want to listen to the fine details of the forecast. Because each storm is different. And really, you know, if the center of the track, you know, moves a matter of several miles, that could mean a totally different scenario for your particular house or, or location. Um, you know, we've seen that many times with, with storm surge flooding. If the center of the track moves farther west or farther east as it's making landfall, that could mean a totally different situation for a, a town right on the coast. So listen for those details and for those fine-tuned forecasts as the event is approaching. But this far out in time, just make preparations to to be without power or without fresh water for several days should a storm impact your area. Where's the best place to get that kind of information? Like say you're a brand new uh, resident in the state or even just long-time residents who need a bit of a refresher, like where's, where are your go-to sources for getting info on what's happening for the storm season and just hurricane preparedness in general? For preparedness in general, there's two websites that I recommend. The first one is ready.gov. Um, and that gives you information for any type of emergency, be it weather or be it, you know, a national emergency. And the other one, I believe, is floridadisaster.org. And that gives a plethora of information. Um, it can tell you if you live in a flood or in an evacuation zone. It'll lead you to websites that can help you determine your, your risk of flood for your property. There's a list of family preparedness guides that you can download and you can fine-tune for your situation. It's a wealth of knowledge and it's fine-tuned to Florida. So it's floridadisaster.org. And then for the forecasts, follow local National Weather Service offices for late and breaking weather information and also Florida storms. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and, and we're following the forecast and we're putting out all the important information for you. Last year, Megan, Saharan dust had quite an impact on some of the tropical storms that spun up in the Atlantic. 
Can you just remind us what it is and what effect it has on the tropics? And you might have actually seen it in the news lately that we had a plume of Saharan dust come over across the Atlantic. And usually that actually helps to suppress um, tropical activity. It, it all has to do with cloud formation and thunderstorm formation. And, and those dust particles can actually inhibit um, those storms from, from organizing rather well. So right now we, we do have a little plume that has come over and it helps to enhance atmospheric optics and, and create beautiful sunsets and things of that nature. But usually it, it, we will get a, a nice plume come over in the beginning of the season and we, we're seeing that happen now. But that'll, that'll dissipate and we'll likely get right back to those tropical waves ejecting off the coast and uh, back into that thunderstorm activity. Megan, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to mention? We can talk about forecasts and everything and, and storms and storm strength, but um, always keep in mind that it just takes one storm to really impact you and your family. And just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't happen to you. Um, so I, I really implore everybody to review you know, your property, your family plan, have a plan in place. Um, the more you do now means the less unorganized, less panicked, uh, you will be down the line if something does threaten your area. Megan Braski is a meteorologist for the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. Megan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're talking about hurricanes, what to expect from what forecasters say will be a busier than average storm season, and lessons learned from previous storms. Coming up, we'll chat with former FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate about Hurricanes Andrew and Irma and the year that four hurricanes hit Florida. We're back in a minute. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. This summer marks five years since Hurricane Irma swept across the state and 30 years since Hurricane Andrew devastated South Florida. Craig Fugate has spent a career planning, preparing and responding to hurricanes as the director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management and as the FEMA administrator during the Obama administration. Fugate oversaw Florida's emergency response in 2004, the year that four hurricanes slammed into the state. Now he's a consultant and the chief resilience officer for One Concern, a California-based software company focused on disaster science. Craig, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Let's start with a little bit of history. In September, it'll be five years since Hurricane Irma hit Florida, and that storm rolled in after you'd finished out your term as FEMA administrator. But what do you recall about the impact of that storm and how the state of Florida responded to it? Well, Irma did, you know, the traditional, it's going this direction, then it's going that direction, and it ended up parallel in the coast. And I think, you know, the evacuation is always a challenge. Uh, we saw some communities with large populations moving from south to north. And again, we're seeing a lot of people trying to evacuate up uh, the interstate systems and the turnpike. Uh, but I think for most people in Florida, the big news with Irma was the power outages, uh, widespread across the state. But unlike what we saw back in 2004 and 2005, in most cases, the utilities were able to communicate better, what the impacts would be, how long the power would be out. And power was restored, I think, uh, given the amount and widespread nature of the damage. I thought it came back pretty fast. So you had some areas with some concentrated damage and roof damage. Most people were impacted by the power outages. 
Uh, a lot of people evacuated that when they got back home, hadn't even seen hurricane conditions, which is one of our challenges. And we did all this, fortunately, before we were faced with COVID. And on the issue of evacuations, I mean, after Irma, there were reports that some Floridians were less inclined to trust forecasters and heed the warnings from emergency managers because the track of the storm didn't match up to forecast models. Uh, what about now, Craig? What's your sense of how closely residents are likely to follow guidelines from local, state and federal leaders? And, and what are the challenges if they don't follow those guidelines? I think we need to be clear why we deal with evacuations for hurricanes is to keep people from drowning. So when people say, well, what's the consequence if we don't evacuate? Death by drowning? That's the consequence. Because there is improved forecast accuracy, we're actually seeing, in many cases, the evacuation areas reducing. But because Florida's a peninsula, storms on either side of the coast can end up evacuating large segments of the coast just because it's so close and that any deviation could mean that an area would be impacted. And we saw this as far back as Hurricane Charlie. South Florida was pretty much on the southwest coast, was all in warnings all the way up into Tampa Bay. But too many people were focused on the track, which was heading towards Tampa Bay. And in fact, a lot of people evacuated from the Tampa Bay region and went to Orlando. And Hurricane Charlie made landfall south of there in Ponte Gorda. Uh, it came across the state hit Orlando with hurricane force winds, did tremendous damages out near the airport. And I think people were like, well, the track was wrong. I was like, no, the track was parallel in the coast. It was very close. These areas were under hurricane warnings. People were focusing on the skinny black line and many of them evacuated in the path. So Irma, because if you think about it, coming up either side or the middle of the state, it's always a challenge. I think you know the thing we got to put into context, why do we order evacuation? Why do local officials order evacuations? It's based upon a drowning risk. You brought up Hurricane Charlie, and that was part of a, a quartet of storms that hit the state in 2004 while you were director of the Florida Division of Emergency Management. And of course, that storm season led to numerous fatalities and caused billions of dollars in damages. What were the biggest takeaways for you about that set of storms? And did that season change your thinking on disaster response at all? Well, we had already been thinking, you know, taking a lot of lessons of Hurricane Andrew, you know, building a strong state team, working closely with locals. But what it reinforced was we had to get faster. We could not do the traditional wait until locals were exhausted and asked for resources. And then we would ask FEMA. We, we really, uh, from Hurricane Charlie Ford, were trying to work as one team from the local, state, and federal level. And I, I thought we were relatively successful. We had our challenges. Things didn't go perfect. We had you know, things go wrong. But the key thing was getting in the areas quickly after a disaster, not waiting for people to say we need help, and, and responding as if it was bad. We knew we were getting hit by hurricanes. And my response was, well, why are we waiting till we get reports of how bad the damage is? Why don't we just respond like it's bad? And if it isn't, we get done quicker. I'd much rather adjust from having way too much than not having enough. And that was, that was really, I think, something that reinforced that during that, that hurricane season. Just thinking about evacuations too, I mean, you've, you've brought up a couple of situations where there were mass evacuations. And as you point out, that can create some issues too. You can clog up highways. You can cause a run on gas stations. So when, what are the rules? I mean, when should people stay? When should they evacuate? And when should they head to a shelter? Don't wait till there's a hurricane to ask these questions. The first thing anybody in Florida needs to do is find out, are you in an evacuation zone? 
and you can look that up. You can go to the state, you can, you know, the Florida Division of Emergency Management, you can go to your local county emergency management agencies. Uh, but the first thing is find out if you live in an evacuation zone. And if you do, your plan should be to evacuate inland. And for most Florida residents, that's tens of miles, not hundreds of miles. And, you know, friends and family, hotels and motels, public shelters. And when people say, well, I don't have the money, I can't afford to evacuate. Well, there's public shelters in, in most counties. They're going to provide public transportation to people that need assistance to go somewhere. But this is the key thing. If you're in the evacuation zone and now the order comes, you, your family, your pets go to high ground. Don't leave anybody behind. Because the risk is if we do have the storm surge impacts, these areas would be inundated. Uh, this is rapidly forceful water. This isn't the kind of flooding you see where, you know, we get the thunderstorm and we get 12 inches of water on the road. This is pounding waves, rapidly rising waters. And historically, this is where the greatest risk of loss of life takes place. So that's the plan. If you're in the evacuation zone, you move inland. If you're not in the evacuation zone, you plan for the other impacts. You know, power outages, if I'm elderly, power dependent, you know, that may be a good reason for me to go somewhere where there's more secure power. I may live in an area that's low-lying, subject to heavy rain and flooding. That might be a good reason to go. But for most people, it's like prepare for power outages uh, and shelter in your home and make sure you've boarded up your windows. Craig, you brought up Hurricane Andrew uh, a moment or two ago. And in August, it'll be 30 years since Hurricane Andrew hit Florida. And of course, a lot has changed since then, including the population. You know, back in 1992, Florida's population was around 13 and a half million. Now it's over 21 million. What does that mean for the impact of storms and the aftermath if it's a serious hurricane? Well, there are some good things that came out of Andrew. Uh, one, we I think between that and, and a lot of other things, the crisis insurance industry, which we're seeing again, uh, Florida did much to improve the building code to make homes stronger and safer. That I think is a good legacy. Uh, building the team of state and local governments, really refining those roles. A lot of that started under the late Governor Childs and then refined and implemented by Governor Jeb Bush during the 0405 hurricane seasons. That we have built upon but we're still facing the insurance crisis. In fact, the legislature is in special session trying to address that. Uh, we have people that have moved here that have never been through a hurricane. So we always have a constant education process, both to our existing residents and new residents, about hurricane season, the threats, what they need to do, where to get information. Uh, and, and again, there's, I think, this tendency that adding more people adds to challenges. Well, it certainly does for evacuation and sheltering. But I also think we, have to look at, you know, as we keep growing this population, another thing we hear in the background, but really becomes evident there are storms is affordable housing, affordable rental property, and the kind of displacements. And so we've learned a lot of lessons, I think, on the response phase. I think we've got better building codes as a result of that. I still think we're wrestling with insurance, and I don't think we've addressed the issue of affordable housing and re affordable rental properties in the aftermath of these hurricanes. And some people can be out of their properties for a long time. We, we see blue tarps on roofs for sometimes years after a storm, right? You know, if you're a homeowner stuff, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. What I'm really seeing is basically low-income renters getting priced out of their communities in the aftermath of disasters as people begin rebuilding. We see, you know, the term gentrification 
in the aftermath of these storms and the current you know situation, we see tremendous displacement of affordable rental properties. Uh, many times those those owners can't rebuild, don't have insurance, and so they don't rebuild. Or if they rebuild, they build something that is going to have a much higher value than the previous structure, and accordingly they're going to want more rent. And you know I've heard this term, you know, climate refugees or managed retreat as something that's in our future. I'm like, it's already happened in Florida. We're watching it. In Hurricane Michael, uh, this became a huge issue in the Panhandle as the amount of affordable housing that was wiped out, and much of this was rental properties, was either rebuilt as much more expensive homes, which were no longer affordable, or wasn't rebuilt. And so this is, I think, for the policy world, you know, once we figure out how to provide insurance for homeowners, we really need to take a look at the affordable uh, housing issue, particularly rental properties that just after these disasters is probably the one thing that I've, I've not seen come back in any appreciable form. Craig, what's your best advice for um, Floridians ahead of storm season, whether they're longtime residents or brand new arrivals to the state? Where should they go to get the information? What are some of the basics they need to be thinking about? Go to the state Florida Division of Emergency Management. Uh, they have good information. Go to your county emergency management agencies. And as much as insurance is, is skyrocketing, talk to your insurance agent. If you're a homeowner, your best financial defense is having the right coverage. And one of the coverages you need to really understand your risk is flood insurance. Uh, this is probably our, our biggest growing risk outside of the existing roofing and other issues that are going on. Most people don't understand that they don't have flood insurance. Their homeowner's policy does not cover their damages due to flooding or what they call rising waters. And people tell you, well, I don't live in a flood zone. I've lived here all my life. We don't get water. I'm not on the coast. Problem is these hurricanes are dumping feet of rain. When you dump 24 to 36 inches of rain, there's not much of Florida that won't flood. And too many people who don't live in a special flood risk area, uh, too many people who think flood insurance is too expensive, don't understand that one inch of water will cost them about $25,000 on average in repairs, and their homeowner policies provide no coverage. Outside of the special flood risk area, what many people unfortunately call a flood zone, is really a requirement for flood insurance. It's not that expensive compared to the risk. And so for you know, hundreds of dollars, you can provide protection for your home that your homeowner's policy won't. And if you live in Florida with hurricanes producing feet of rain, just about everybody is at a flood risk, but most people don't have flood insurance. Craig, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to bring up? You know, again, it's 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 hurricane season. It, it happens. Uh, you know, it's not going away. So the best thing is is to make sure you got a plan, know what you're going to do, find out if you're in an evacuation zone. If you're not, make plans for your home. If you're in the evacuation zone, make plans to leave. Always take your pets. When we say evacuate your family, we don't mean leave the critters behind. Take your pets with you because they're not going to do any better if we're telling you to evacuate because you're you're going to possibly be at risk of drowning. The pets don't do any better. Take them with you. Get flood insurance. Talk to your insurance agent. I know insurance is a is a deal breaker for a lot of people right now on the prices, but think about it. That mortgage doesn't get serviced if your home gets destroyed and you can't pay it because you can't repair or live in your home. So it's time to talk to the insurance agents. It's time to look at the flood insurance. Time is now, not when a storm is threatening your community. 
We've been speaking with former FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate. He's now a consultant on emergency management and the Chief Resilience Officer for One Concern, a California-based software company focused on disaster science. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening. <laughs>